0: everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your midweek Bible study, 2023 Spring Edition. It is Wednesday, May 3rd. Today, we're continuing in our study of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 5 today, the entire chapter, and we're going to talk about Paul's final words. Why are they final? Because he's ending the letter of 1 Peter, and so we're going to talk about what that means, and the there's some really great implications in there. Absolutely good application for us all lot to talk about, but we always open with a word of prayer, so won't you join me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all that have come to study your word today. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Give us great understanding of what these words mean and how we can apply them to our lives. In your blessed and holy name we pray, and everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, open up your Bible or Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 5. That's 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at 14 verses there, verses 1 to 14. This is what it reads. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. Now, folks, as we begin looking at this passage of Scripture today, the first 11 verses here are Peter directing his words to elders of the church and to young men. With that in mind, let's go. Here we go. Verse 1. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Here's our first question. Who is the group of people that Peter is directing his thoughts toward in this verse? What is their role, and how does he identify with them? The group of people that Peter is directing his thoughts towards are the elders of the churches throughout Asia Minor. The term rendered elder means older. In the early church, senior members of the congregation were considered prime candidates for leadership. Of course, younger believers who were mature in the faith and whom God had gifted with leadership abilities could serve as elders too. Regardless of their age, church elders were to take their responsibility very seriously. Peter had previously mentioned that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. In this verse, however, he stressed his shared eldership with the leaders in the Asia Minor churches. Instead of giving them orders, Peter appealed to them as a fellow servant. The term appeal literally means a calling to one side. So in other words, one person is called alongside another to encourage and or to exhort. In calling himself a fellow elder, Peter sought to encourage the overseers of the Asia Minor churches to remain faithful to their leadership duties. They undoubtedly valued his advice as they shouldered heavy responsibilities during a difficult time. The apostle could urge his friends to remain faithful to their calling because he had seen the various trials and sufferings that Christ had endured while here on earth. For instance, Peter had witnessed Jesus' agony in Gethsemane before the cross. Christ's sufferings won for him great victory, which will be revealed to all at his second coming. In addition to having witnessed Christ's sufferings, Peter fully expected to share in his glory when he was revealed at his second coming. Here's a question for thought. How does the knowledge that you will one day share in Christ's glory encourage you to remain faithful to the Lord? Next up, verses two and three. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. All right, here's our question. Who is the flock the elders are to care for and what three possible problems might they face and how should they respond? The flock is the believers in the church. This command echoes Jesus' words to Peter himself in John 21:16, when Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The same Greek word is used in both places, meaning to shepherd, to tend, or to take care of, to pastor. Elders were to be like shepherds who lead, guide, and protect the sheep under their care. Believers would need good leaders as they faced persecution. Now here are three possible problems that elders might face and how they should respond. Take a look right away at verse 2. First, wrong motivation. It says, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Elders should serve out of love for God. Peter called upon them to make God's will their own, eagerly seeking to please God in it. Pastors and elders should serve willingly in churches today. Too often, a slate of elders becomes hard to fill because people are just unwilling to serve. The next possible problem that elders might face is wrong goals. Do you see that in verse 2? Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. In many of the churches, elders were paid for their services. However, the money alone probably didn't make the elder rich. This temptation to be greedy probably arose because of the church's finances. In other words, the money collected for the poor, etc. Usually were entrusted to the elder or overseer. The opportunity to abuse the trust was very, very real. Both Peter and Paul explained that elders were to be paid adequately and were to be trustworthy with money. You can read more at 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, and Titus 1, verse 7 and verse 11. Today, pastors receive pay for serving, but pastors can fall prey to the greedy desire of money. Not having money can lead to as much preoccupation with funds as having a lot of money. And the last possible problem that elders might face is wrong methods. Look at verse 3. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Elders are to lead by example, not by force. The phrase lording it over means forcefully domineering or subduing. Elders also must fight the temptation to abuse their authority and hurt the church under their care. The formula that Jesus used was always that those who led were to be the best servants. The leaders were to be examples of humility and servanthood. Leaders must not bully or steamroll people all right next up is verse 4 it reads and when the great Shepherd appears you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor here's our question Peter concludes his instructions to the leaders of the local churches the elders with a very simple statement you will be rewarded what does he mean Peter means that Jesus is the chief Shepherd elders in the local church serve Christ by serving Christ's sheep the men and women and children that he loved so dearly. So when Christ, the chief shepherd, appears in his glory at the end of all things, he will bring rewards. For the elders, there will be the unfading crown of glory. We're not sure exactly what this means, other than the fact that Jesus will share his glory with those who served as elders of his flock, and they will carry that glory with them forever. Peter likely has in mind the leafy crowns awarded to champion athletes during this era. The physical glory of that crown would fade as the leaves shriveled and died. In contrast, the glory Christ shares with those who shepherd his flock will be everlasting. Serving as an elder in the local church is a difficult role, made all the more challenging in times of persecution and suffering. Peter's instructions prove that it's easy to do the task badly by serving reluctantly or for personal gain or in a domineering and controlling way. But for those elders who served according to God's design, as willing, eager examples of how to follow Christ, the reward will be significant. All right, verse 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's the question. In the previous few verses, Peter gave specific instructions to those occupying the office of elder in the church regarding how they should lead. Now he addresses those who are younger, spiritually speaking, and not serving as an elder. Who does Peter say they should be subject to, and how are they to act? Peter is saying these young men should accept the authority of the elders, meaning to submit to their decisions and to treat them with respect, unless, of course, they're leading you into sin. Finally, all believers had a responsibility in the congregation. They should serve each other in humility. Humility means being able to put others' needs and desires ahead of one's own. Young people should follow the leadership of the older people, especially those who have been put in authority over them as elders. The elders, in turn, should lead by example. All should actively serve one another. No doubt Peter remembered how Christ serves his disciples with humility as he washed their feet. Next, Peter quotes from Proverbs 3.34 to make his point. The verse reads, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Not only does pride keep people from listening to or following God, it can also keep older people from trying to understand young people and young people from listening to those who are older. Next up, verse 6, it says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. What does Peter mean that we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? And if we do, then what will be the result? When believers humble themselves to the hand of God, they're actually submitting to his care and protection. They must humble themselves even in the face of persecution because God would honor them. And when the proper time comes, he will exalt us either here or in the life to come, or both to some extent. Our willingness to serve to make ourselves nothing isn't a declaration that we are in fact insignificant. Our humility and service is a declaration that our mighty God can be trusted to give us all the glory and recognition that we long for when the time is right. Next up, verse 7, it says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. This verse explains what it means for believers to humble themselves. Here's the question. What is Peter saying here in verse 7? Peter is saying that all the believers who continue to carry their worries, anxieties, stresses, and daily struggles by themselves, show that they have not trusted God fully. It takes humility, however, to turn everything literally over to God and trust that he cares. God is not indifferent. He knows what you're doing. He knows what's happening in your lives. Sometimes we think that struggles caused by our own sin and foolishness are not God's concern. But when we turn to God in repentance, he will bear the weight even of those struggles. To let God have your anxiety, Calls for action, not passivity. Don't submit to circumstances, but to the Lord who controls the circumstances. Peter wanted the believers facing persecution and suffering to remember to give their troubles to God and that he cares. Verse eight is next. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's the question. How should believers live believing in a real devil? a spiritual enemy with an agenda to bring harm to Christians. Peter's answer begins this verse, be sober-minded, be alert. It's the third time in this letter Peter has urged his readers to be clear-minded. Check out 1 Peter 1, verse 13, and 4, verse 7. It matters that we're paying attention with serious minds to what's going on in our lives and in the world around us. Peter writes that there is danger beyond the physical persecution some of his readers were facing. There's a deep agenda far beyond that of the powerful men who might inflict the persecution. The devil, not the men or women who might harm us, is the real enemy of a Christian believer. Our enemy, the devil, desires to devour us, to cause real and lasting harm to us. The Greek word here is katapian. It literally means to swallow or to drown. Peter has made it clear that our place in eternity with the Father is secure. The devil can't take that from us, but he does seek to damage our faith. He wants fear to shake our submission to the Father and lies to distort our understanding of God's goodness. Since he can't touch the believer's soul, Satan seeks to leave us in a weak and ineffective state as servants of our king. Next is verse 9. It says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Here's the question. How does Peter say that we are to respond to the reality of the devil? And are we alone in this fight? We can and should resist Satan. When the battle comes, fight back. This language is striking because Peter has repeatedly told believers to submit to those in authority. This even includes kings and governors who are part of the system of persecution that so many Christians would face. He has written that slaves should submit to masters and wives, to husbands, not based on that person's worthiness, but out of submission to God. But when it comes to the devil, Peter commands us to do the exact opposite of submission. We must say no. We must fight. But how? By standing firm in your faith, that's how. From the snake's first conversation with Eve to Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the devil has always sought to undermine our trust in the God of heaven. His goal is to weaken our dependence on the Father who loves us and is strong to meet our needs. Satan may make use of persecution to accomplish this. Peter writes that many in the world at the time were facing the same kind of suffering. Many continue to do so. The devil may attack our faith in ways as well, but strategy for fighting back stays the same. Trust God more and increase your reliance on him. Say no to the devil and yes to the father. And no, we are not alone in this fight. Other Christians scattered all over the world are suffering for the faith. This fact should give them strength, and it should give us strength as well. All of this, of course, was and is under God's control and is accomplishing his purposes. Next up, verses 10 and 11. They say, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. What is the perspective Peter's giving his readers in this verse, and why is that important? After a time of suffering, what does Peter say God will do for the believers? When we're suffering, we often feel as though our pain will never end. Peter gave these faithful Christians the wider perspective. In comparison with eternity, their suffering would last only for a little while. This repeats what Peter said in chapter one, verse six. Some of Peter's readers would be strengthened and delivered in their own lifetime. Others would be released from their suffering through death. After that time of suffering, God promises to, number one, restore, which means to set right what's gone wrong, to put in order or to complete. He also promises to support by admonition and guidance. He promises to strengthen, to give courage no matter what happens, and he promises to place them on a firm foundation built on a rock, in other words, being immovable. While their suffering will only be for a little while, their glory in Christ will be eternal. In life or in death, God's purposes will be accomplished and his promises to believers will be fulfilled because believers have been called into God's eternal glory. God called. This was his initiative. He will do as he promised because all power is his forever and ever. Amen? Amen. We're going to conclude this chapter now with Peter's final greetings in verses 12 to 14. Here we go with verse 12. It says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, who I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. The question is, who does Peter say helped him with this letter? And what is his purpose in writing it? Peter has written this letter through a man identified as Silvanus or Silas, depending on the translation. In either case, most scholars suggest that this is the same man who traveled and ministered with the apostle Paul. You can read 2 Corinthians 1.19, 1 Thessalonians 1.1, 1, 1, and 2 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. It's possible that Peter dictated his letter to Silas who wrote the words down for him. This would be the same way in which Tertius served as Paul's secretary for the book of Romans. Romans 16, 22, in fact. Or it may simply be that Peter is sending him to deliver this letter to the churches. In either case, Peter commends Silas to them, calling him a faithful brother. The point of his letter, Peter writes, was to encourage them to reinforce once more that this, the gospel of Jesus, is really and truly the grace of God. He exhorts them to stand fast in that grace. In other words, Peter writes to bolster their spirits and their faith, especially in the light of the persecution of Christians. Verse 13 is next. It says, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. All right, here's the question. Where was Peter when he wrote this letter, and who is Mark? Peter was in Rome when he wrote this letter and was sending greetings from the church there. Mark, also called John Mark, was known to many of this letter's readers because he traveled widely and was recognized as a leader in the church. Mark was probably with the disciples at the time of Jesus' arrest. Mark knew Peter well, and Peter looked at him as a son, a close associate in Christ's service. Tradition holds that Peter was Mark's main source of information when Mark wrote his gospel. Paul had mentioned that Mark was with him at the early time in Rome, Colossians 4, 17, so it's likely that he returned there at one time and was with Peter at the writing of this letter. Now, for the last verse today, verse 14. Peter writes, Greet each other with a kiss of love. Some of your translations will say holy kiss. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. Here's our last question. Peter closes his letter to fellow believers with an encouragement to greet each other. How does he say they should do it and why? Here Peter refers to a kiss of love. Apparently, a kiss was a common greeting between friends and associates in this part of the world at that time. Several New Testament books encourage believers to greet each other in this way. Whatever the expression we use, Christians are encouraged to be warm and close with each other. And finally, Peter signs off with a wishful prayer for peace for all Christians who read his letter. Since so many of his first readers were facing or would face persecution for their faith, this prayer is not merely polite. It's a heartfelt hope that their circumstances would change. At the same time, it's a prayer that they would experience the very confidence Peter has spoken of in this letter, regardless of the troubles they may face. In their relationships, Christians long for peace. In Christ, and only in Christ, can we find it. Amen. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of our study of 1 Peter. Let me give you a brief recap of what we talked about today in chapter 5. We talked about how Peter appealed to the elders of the churches in Asia Minor to shepherd the people under their care with compassion and enthusiasm, and they were to avoid greed and the abuse of power at all costs. Peter also addressed the young men in the congregations, emphasizing their submission to those who are older. He also said that all Christians should practice humility, prayerfulness, self-control, alertness, and resistance to the devil. He ended his admonitions with a benediction of grace and promise of strengthening. And lastly, Peter ended his letter with some personal notes to the churches. He commended Silas, a faithful brother, who helped him write this letter. The apostle also sent greetings to those in Rome especially Mark. Next time we'll begin 2 Peter and we're going to start 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 11 and we'll talk about stepping stones to spiritual growth. It's going to be a great journey as we continue in these letters from Peter. Hope that you've had a great day today. We've enjoyed having you here. Look forward to having you with us again next time. Until then, take care. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.